0: And Isildur, saying no word, went out by night and did a deed for which he was afterwards renowned. For he passed alone, in disguise, to Armenelos and to the courts of the king. And he came to that place of the tree, which was forbidden to all by the orders of Sauron. But Isildur passed through the guards, and took from the tree a fruit that hung upon it, and turned to go. But the guard was aroused, and he was assailed, and he fought his way out, receiving many wounds. But he escaped... And because he was disguised, it was not discovered who had laid hands on the tree. Hey there, tolkien ears, I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel N. Welcome back to Keep on Tolkien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Episode 51. This is the uh, High King series part two. Today, as you may have noted from the opening excerpt, we are going to be talking about High King Isildur. Isildur. Yeah, so we're at episode 51. So we're, half, we're over halfway to 100 now. Yeah, dude. That's, uh, that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, I think we're finally figuring out how to do this.
0: You think we're on our, like, uh, upward stride? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that pause. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah, man.
1: Totally. 100% confident.
0: All right. So today's episode, we are going to be talking about door. So briefly, let's just uh, review briefly who is door so everyone knows who we're talking about when we start. So he was the second king of Gondor and also the second king of Arnor. Uh, Isildur was also the last Hiking of the Dunedain.
1: And, of course, he's the guy that cut the One Ring from Sauron's hand during the Last
0: Alliance. I think it's probably what he's most famously most known for. Most known for, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you'll probably recognize, especially for those who read the books, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, they often refer to Isildur when they're talking about Aragorn. Yeah, They Isildur's call Isildur's Aragorn heir. Isildur's heir like a million times mm-hmm. throughout the books.
1: I am Isildur's heir, not Isildur himself.
0: So some names, actually, Isildur doesn't really have...
1: There many names and titles. No, he's like uh, Prince. Like, he just has... <laughs> he's like Prince. <laughs> he's just got. what everybody knows. Prince. There was a
0: time where he was called the symbol. Yeah. But, uh,
1: just, yeah. Just the no. white tree.
0: Uh, so, <laughs> his names and titles, the only names that we could find for him are his birth name, Isildur, which is Quenya for devoted to the moon.
1: Yeah, and he's the high king of uh, Arnor and Gondor, the north and south kingdoms. Yeah.
0: So, he's only got a couple one name and uh, one or two titles.
1: Yeah dude. that's all you need when you're a sealed So let's get into the origins. Where does a sealed come from?
0: Yeah, let's see where a sealed came from. So Isildur was born in Numenor in the year 3209 of the Second Age. That was during the rule of uh, Tar-Palantir, the 24th king. I think you said Tar-Palantir was one of your favorites, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, he's he's the one that tried to set everything right again.
0: Yeah, Palantir was a good king. He was the 24th. Oh, yes, he was second from the last. Yes, yeah, he was the one that tried to repent and then... Ah, so he was born born while there was the last real good king. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Isildur is also the first son of High King Elendil, whom you may remember from last episode.
1: Yeah, yeah, and Isildur, he had his younger brother Anarion, who was born in yeah. SA 3219, yeah. so yeah. 10 years later. 10 years later.
0: That's a that's not bad for Dunedain brothers. That's not pretty a bad good gap spacing. for Dunedin brothers, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the family lived in the Haven of Romana as uh, Isildur and Anarion were growing up. And that was over on the uh, east coast of the island of Numenor. Yeah, yeah. And
1: Isildur's grandfather was, of course, Amandale, who we've heard a lot about uh, pretty recently in recent episodes.
0: Yeah, so let's take a—he's he's a pretty important figure, so let's take a moment to talk about Amandil.
1: One of the things about Amandil is that he was actually childhood friends with the man who would become the last king of Numenor, Ar-Pharazan the Golden.
0: Yeah, and that's a pretty important fact that comes into play later. Uh, Amandil is also the last lord of right? and uh, who the lords of Induniae were, they were the uh, descendants from the, king, the kings of Numenor through Silmarion, daughter of Tar-Elendil, and that basically came about during the rule of Tar-Elendil, the fourth king. He had his daughter, he thought she should inherit the throne, women couldn't inherit the throne. So he basically made this line for her.
1: Yeah, like these, all right, I'll make these guys that are super dope. Yeah, because uh, he, and then he split up, yeah, the the, the the heirlooms of the kingdom.
0: Yeah, he split up the heirlooms of the kingdom and sent some through these new lords of Indunye. Um, so they were a pretty important house in uh, Numenor. They weren't technically royalty because they came through the daughter, right, not the yeah, son right. of a king. But they are but, of the line of Elros. Well, yeah, they are of the line of Elros. And uh, we've got a quick excerpt about the lords of Indunia here. Highest in honor after the house of the kings were the lords of Indunia,
1: for they were of the line of Elros, descended from Silmarion, daughter of Tarlendil, the fourth king of Numenor. And these lords were loyal to the kings and revered them,
0: and the lord of Indunia was ever among the chief counselors to the king. Yeah, so the lords of Indunia were ever among the chief counselors of the king, that's a that's a good thing to keep in mind as yeah. we go forward here with Numenor. Yeah. Because uh, now, during Sildor's youth, there come to be two factions, kind of political factions in Numenor. Yeah. The Faithful and the Kingsmen. We've talked about them plenty of times before.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in the later days of Numenor, the culture took a shift away from friendship with the Eldar and the Valar because they began to yearn for immortality.
0: Yeah, they're pretty bitter that their friends, the elves and the Valar, they got to basically live forever.
1: Yeah, well, and it's, they got greedy as a culture because everything was so great that they were like, I don't want to die. This is so awesome. Like, right,
0: they, they felt like they were so great they deserved to live forever.
1: Yeah, not the case. We all have to die. It's all another path we must take, right?
0: Right. So this jealousy for immortality basically turned into a, a resentment for the elves and the valar and uh, basically these folks who came to resent the immortals they became known as the kingsmen they were loyal to the king and they became very uh uh what's the word i'm looking for
1: nationalistic
0: nationalistic <laughs> yeah yep mm-hmm. but the other faction uh, there were some who remained true to the old ways of numenor and these were called the faithful or the elf friends
1: yeah, yeah, and they were kind of on the download, led by the Lords of Anduinier. They were kind of like their leaders, you know.
0: Right, yeah. So the King's Men, obviously led by the King, and then the uh, the Faithful was actually led by the Lords of Anduinier. They remained faithful to the old ways.
1: Yeah, and I feel like this was kind of an open secret.
0: Yeah, I feel like it was something <laughs> that it wasn't like official, but people probably knew but about yeah. it. And
1: like the King's line could never move against the Lords of Anduinier; they're related, you know.
0: Right, exactly. All right, so let's get into the the, the fall of Numenor. Yeah, yeah. So in the year 3262 of the Second Age, that's when the last king of Numenor, King ar takes Sauron captive and brings him back to Numenor as a prisoner. And Sauron actually allowed himself to
1: be taken because he wanted uh, to corrupt the Numenorians in order to bring about their downfall. And he knew that uh, he could do that from the inside better than fighting them outright.
0: Right, he was in it for the long game. But uh, not long after arriving on the island, King Arpharazon is corrupted by Sauron. Who would have thought? Oh yeah, really? (laughs) Yeah, it was actually pretty quick. He goes from a prisoner. Yeah. And then Sauron climbs ranks and his influence increases and uh, uh, he becomes one of the advisors to King Arpharazon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Weird.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely weird. It actually alarmed some of the faithful. So at this time, a lot of the faithful began to leave New and head back to Middle Earth in some uh, of some of the, the New colonies over there. Yeah, I live under Gilgalad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty nice. But eventually Sauron grew so powerful in Numenor that he actually had the balls to demand that the white tree, Nimloth the Fair, be cut down. You know, because it was a symbol of friendship with the elves and stuff. Yeah, and he was like... Kingsmen and Sauron, yeah, fuck that shit. But
1: initially Arfairzon refused, uh, but Amandil actually learned that uh, Sauron wanted this to be done. (laughs) And uh, he was concerned that Sauron would eventually get his way. So he consulted his sons and grandsons... And uh, Isildur goes and does something pretty fucking metal. Yeah,
0: and this is, I think this is one of the reasons why Amandiel is such an important character. Because, uh, like we mentioned before, Amandil was childhood friends with King Arpharazan. And because he was one of the lords of that means he was one of the king's counselors. And uh, at this time, you think, you know, with this split between these factions, you know, Arpharazan probably would have kicked all the faithful out of his council, right? Yeah, you'd think. (laughs) But uh, given Amandiel's status as one of the lords of the Lord of Endunia at the time, mm-hmm. and the fact that they're childhood friends, we think that has a lot to do with why Amandiel was allowed to stay around. Yeah. And that's what allowed him to witness these things, like the fact that the tree was going to get cut down, and also some uh, stuff we'll touch on in a second. Yeah, yeah. so Amandiel is a pretty important character.
1: Remember those political ads
0: we made for Amandiel?
1: Amandiel. <laughs> I'm Amandiel, and I approve this message. <laughs> we should do more of those. Those were fun. Those were
0: super fun. Um, So ultimately, yeah, I'm sorry, Daniel, like you said, Amandil consulted with his sons, with his son and his grandsons, and that's when Isildur does something crazy. Does some wild shit. We've got an excerpt about this here. But when Amandil heard rumor of the evil purpose of Sauron, he was grieved to the heart, knowing that in the end Sauron would surely have his will. Then he spoke to Elendil and the sons of Elendil, recalling the tale of the Trees of Valinor and Isildur, "'said no word, but went out by night, "'and did a deed for which he was afterwards renowned. "'For he passed alone in disguise to Armenelos "'and to the courts of the king, "'and he came to that place of the tree, "'which was forbidden to all by the orders of Sauron. "'But Isildur passed through the guards "'and took from the tree a fruit that hung upon it, "'and turned to go. "'But the guard was aroused, and he was assailed, "'and fought his way out, receiving many wounds. "'But he escaped.' And because he was disguised it was not discovered who had laid hands on the tree.
1: Yeah so Sildo really has a hard on for this tree. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I
0: I don't know if it was just the inspiration from hearing that story of the Trees of Yeah. No, I mean, no,
1: Isildur's just a a G, dude. That's what I think, like, part of the thing that I wanted to get over in this episode, and we talked about this yesterday while we were doing this, Mm -hmm. while we tried to record and had technical difficulties, so we had to (laughs) call it off. But uh, yeah, I think he kind of gets shafted in the movie, and I think a lot of people have a skewed impression of who this character is.
0: Yeah, I feel like Isildur is a much more fair and uh, he's a relatively humble guy too like yeah he's a lindale's kid he he knows what needs to be done like we see here like he after he knew heard about you know how important the trees are and what sauron wanted to do with the tree and cut it yeah. down he didn't he didn't even say anything he just yeah got up and went and fucking did yeah, this
1: just john wicked it out john
0: just john wicked it <laughs> Yeah, so like it said in the passage, uh, when the guards discovered Isildur, they attacked him and he received some serious injuries and he was actually near death for months. So, like, he was totally unconscious. It was pretty rough.
1: Yeah, but his sacrifice was not all for naught because uh, Nimloth was cut down and burned shortly afterwards. When the new seedling of the white tree began to sprout, Isildur finally woke and was recovered from his injuries.
0: Yeah, I thought that was that's a pretty cool story. Yeah. Just the way that the tree always seems to, like, bloom at important times or...
1: Yeah. I also think this is kind of like... I just thought of this now. It's kind okay. of significant of the line of kings being passed from the line of Elro you know, the original line of kings to the Lords of Enduniae.
0: Oh, the tree. Going the tree.
1: Yeah, because it's like, it. you know, the other one is dead now, but uh-huh. the fruit of theirs is now theirs, and they're going to go start this new...
0: I suppose, because they do ultimately take yeah. the kingship of the Dunedine with them, because yeah. I mean, everyone else dies, but yeah. we'll Sim- get to that. Spoilers. We'll get to that, yeah. Symbolic. Not that, we, yeah. not that we haven't already said that in past episodes, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so thanks to Isildur, the line of the White Tree continues.
1: And while living on the island realm, uh, Isildur married and uh, had his first son, Elendur, in second age
0: 3299, and his wife is uh, unnamed. Yeah, nope. She does, uh, as you may expect, does not have a name. Not important. Yeah, Isildur would go on to have three more sons after this one, you know, total of four, but uh, these other three would be born later on in Middle-earth. Yeah. So while they're in Numenor, they have the one. And in the year thirty-two fifty-five, this is when Sauron convinces our pharazon the king. But they are now so mighty that Numenor is probably power enough to, powerful enough to move against the Valar themselves. Yeah,
1: it's time for us to seize immortality by force. Yeah,
0: so this is really when uh, our pharazon becomes fully corrupt and is like, yeah, let's, uh, yeah, let's attack the Undying Lands and become yeah. immortal because that's how that works, right?
1: You know what I, I love about it too is Sauron doesn't go with. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's it like. No. No, I'll, I'll hold. I'll hold down the fort. There's a lot of people that got to be burned here. <laughs> uh, you know, we got to. We're really far behind on our daily burnings. So you guys have fun. Yeah, go yeah. for it. Go for it. Have fun.
0: <laughs> so in this year, thirty-two fifty-five is when our Ferrazan begins building the great armament, and uh, this is when Amandiel now also hears of this and he once again calls his family together to tell them his plan because now he figures this is a bigger deal than just cutting down the tree Mm-hmm. mandials he's got a plan
1: i wonder if there's like a, a group a lords of like group text message a boop gotta see everybody this they're like cool boop <laughs> Elendil, boop be there in 15 <laughs> So Amandil's grand plan, which is uh, is ballsy and is also reminiscent of the actions of his ancestor mm-hmm. Tuor, um, he planned to sail to Valinor and warn the valor of the king's folly.
0: Yeah, Amandil tells his grandson, his son and grandsons, to ready themselves and uh, get some ships ready off the eastern shore for themselves and the other members of the Faithful, just in case you know something should happen because i mean they're going to attack the valar directly so this isn't going to go well
1: no it's it's going to be bad yeah so <laughs> just
0: to be safe he's like you might want to hang out on some ships off the shore because who knows what's going to happen so Amandil sets sail and he has his plan where he's like yeah i'm going to go back to middle earth that's what he tells everyone and then he sails what like south or north and wraps back around yeah, and heads west whoop. yeah it does a so
1: Elendil and his sons, they prefer nine ships. That's a significant number again, right? Off yep, the eastern nice. uh, eastern coast. And that's four for Elendil, three for Isildur. And uh, as a side note, in the ship of Isildur was the young white tree, because mm-hmm. he's pretty much responsible for that shit now. Right. They're like, you're <laughs> the one that kind of saved it, yeah. so you
0: can uh, guard it on yeah. the boat. And then, uh, of course, two for little Anarian. Little Anarian. <laughs> Now, in the year 3319 of the Second Age, is when our Pharazon finally has the numbers, the uh, armament, the great armament is fully massed, and they launch their attack and sail to Valinor. Yeah, dude, this is it. And uh, uh, originally, Farazhan actually demands that the Faithful join them on their quest. You know, he's trying to basically recruit everybody. Yeah. He's trying to draft everybody. But the Faithful refused the summons, and they remained on their ships, anchored off the shore.
1: And after the Great Armament actually set sail, the Faithful had to move their ships further away from the shore to avoid the uh, soldiers of Sauron who were going around burning people alive. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you didn't
0: go? Hey, code. We're going to burn these people. I'm going to burn everybody. Sauron says they all got to go. <laughs> I love how much they just love burning people. Yeah, what the fuck, dude? It must have stunk something horrible. Right, that's got to be nan, Or maybe it just smelled like bacon all the time.
1: Like, oh, <laughs> gross. We're the same as pigs. <laughs> and as we know, the Great Armament actually, when they do, uh, they make it to Aman And they actually trigger uh, the wrath of uh, Iluvatar, God himself.
0: Right. Like, I'm sure Amandil is probably mostly worried about the wrath of the Valar. Yeah. Who would have thought the wrath of Ilovatar himself?
1: Yeah. Isn't there a scene where, like, Manway goes to, like, Taniquetil and, like, throws up his arms? Mm-hmm. And, like...
0: He's like, like, what can we do? Because we can't... He's ta- basically... We can't do anything against them. We're not allowed to. Yeah.
1: And he basically says, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> yeah, and, basically... And, and, Jesus, take the wheel. And then he, then yeah, Ilovata is like, all right, cool. And then he does what is about to happen next. Eru, take the wheel. Eru, take the wheel. That's our next parody song right there.
0: <laughs> so, as we know, the great armament gets buried in the caves of the forgotten when all of a sudden these mountains just kind of collapse and fall on them. And uh, Numenor, the island of Numenor itself, is violently sunk into the sea.
1: Yeah, dude. And uh, during the fall, the nine ships uh, of, you know, Elendil and Sons, and Elendil and Company, they encounter massive waves and heavy winds. And they were swept helplessly eastward toward Middle Earth, and they were all separated.
0: Yeah, Elendil is swept north into the Gulf of Luan, and uh, his sons, the Sealdor and Anarian, they end up getting swept south along the shore, and they eventually find the mouth of Anduin. We've got an excerpt about this here. Isildur and Anarion were borne away southwards, and at
1: the last they brought their ships up the great river Anduin that flows out of Rovanion into the western sea in the Bay of Belphalas. And they established a realm in those lands, and were after called Gondor.
0: Gondor. Gondor,
1: land of stone. So yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about these, uh, what they call the realms in exile.
0: Yeah, now that Numenor has fallen, let's yeah let's get back into some of the Middle-earth kingdoms.
1: Yeah, it has uh, been flushed down the
0: toilet. Straight up, yeah, like By it God. sunk into the fucking sea. Yeah. <laughs> By God, yeah. By God. So, in the year 3320 of the Second Age is when Isildur and Anarian found the kingdom of Gondor in that southern land there.
1: Yeah, and fun fact: we talked about this uh, before in previous episodes. Gondor is the only kingdom of the Edain to last from its founding through the end of the Tolkien's written legendarium.
0: Yeah, the uh, the kingdoms of men, specifically kingdoms. I know there are some other settlements of men, obviously, that are out there. Sure, but specifically kingdoms where there are kings of men.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that yeah that lasted thirty uh, three hundred sixty two years.
0: Yeah, that was a, at least that's more or less when the. A, that's the entirety of when they founded through the Third Age and then a little bit into the Fourth Age. hmm And that's in contrast to Numenor, which is only
1: 3,287 years. Yeah,
0: so it's got almost an extra 100 years on Numenor.
1: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: So before the downfall of Numenor, the land of Gondor was home to many Numenorean colonists already. Like we had mentioned, when the the factions split up, some people started to move out. Yeah. So there are already some Numenorean colonists there. Mm-hmm. And the uh, location of Gondor is actually at a latitude comparable to that of Venice, Italy, and uh, f- for that reason, Gondor was a more fertile region than the northern kingdom, for example, of Arnor.
1: Yeah, and there was actually an already a pretty well-established port city
0: at Pelergir. Yeah, so I can imagine that only helped us, you know, stimulate that kingdom when they first set it up.
1: Yeah, didn't like Eldarion have like Vinyamar down there too, like back early in the day? That was in that region, wasn't it? Yeah, he had
0: some kind of uh, a port or colony.
1: Or he called it. Not Vinyamar. Yeah, Vinyalande. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so since there were already some new Numenorean colonists there, most of them were already of the faithful, the uh, faithful that ended up coming over from the, after the destruction were given a warm reception upon their, their arrival.
1: Yeah, yeah. However, uh, the Dunedain that settled in the south, the black Numenorians, they did not recognize the Landil's claim.
0: Yeah, there were some of those colonists that didn't like Isildur and Aryan. For example, those would be like the southern colonies, such as like Umbar. Like right. we, hear, we hear about the Corsairs of the Umbar corsairs, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. this is, is the time when they really become a thing.
1: Yeah, them is them black Numenoreans. Mm-hmm.
0: So the, uh, let's see, the hometowns, hometown of Sealdor was Minas Ithil. Tower yeah. of the
1: moon. Tower of the moon. And his name means what again? Like uh, something admirer of the moon? Yeah. yeah.
0: His name is literally Quenya for devoted to the moon.
1: Devoted to the moon. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, so he, he controls the tower of the moon. Go figure.
0: And his brother Anarian was uh, given Minas Anor. The tower of the sun. And the capital of Gondor was Osgiliath in between. And I can only imagine that that city was fucking bomb in yeah, the heyday. Yeah. Built right on the river there. <coughs> and we've got an uh, excerpt about this here. In Minas Ithil was the house of Isildur, and in Minas Anor the house of Anarian. But they shared the realm between them, and their thrones were set side by side in the great hall of Osgiliath. Yeah, yeah. Minas
1: Ithil was actually a pretty freaking cool place.
0: Yeah, there's some things about it that I actually didn't know previous to this.
1: Yeah. It's actually a walled city of white marble built on a high shelf of rocks.
0: Yeah, it was built, uh, what was it, it was in like a uh, cleft in the, in the mountains there right next to Mordor. Yeah, yeah. I built it to keep watch on Mordor. Mm-hmm. But uh, within the, mo- the walls, there were white houses and a tall tower. And the walls in the tower had many windows, and the top of the tower actually revolved slowly back and forth. <laughs>
1: what? That's really yeah. cool. That's like the that hotel, or the restaurant at the hotel in downtown St. Paul that spins. Oh, yeah, yeah. They'll spin yeah, the your carousel so, in or whatever. The fuck right, it's so you called. get a view. Yeah, I'm not that rich. I've never been there.
0: Yeah, so which is pretty fucking crazy. And then when you add this next fact, it gets even more nuts. The city's white marble walls, buildings, and tower were all designed to catch and reflect the moonlight. And uh, when it did that, they'd show with a soft silver luminescence. Ooh. So I imagine that was trippy as shit, like this this glowing city with like a spinning tower.
1: Yeah, during the full moon. Yeah, that that
0: had to have been a pretty sweet place originally. But now when you think about what it becomes later and you think about this moon glow, you can understand how it becomes pretty fucking creepy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: And Isildur planted the sapling of the white tree uh, of Gondor outside his
0: home in Minisithil. Yeah, of course. He's kind of the keeper of it. We've got a quick excerpt about that.
1: The tree, memorial of the Eldar in the light of Valinor, was planted in Minisithil before the house of Isildur, since he it was that had saved the fruit from
0: destruction. And another fun fact is one of the seven palantiri were also kept in the tower there. Yeah. That's actually a pretty important fact. Yeah, and
1: those palantiri, uh those are those magic seeing stones given to Amandil by the
0: Eldar. Yeah, so they can all communicate across kingdoms, even in between the kingdoms.
1: Yeah, cuz the yeah, and that, and was that was something I learned when I was doing the Elendil episode that uh they were given to Amandil because the elves were like we can't come back here anymore, but we'll
0: we we'll still love you. Yeah, we'd still like to talk <laughs> to you. Yeah. You go, Amandil. All right, so this is also the time when uh, we get a couple more of Isildur's children. So while living in Gondor, Isildur and his wife, let's call her Sharon. Let's call her Sharon. Let's call her Sharon. Why not? They uh, had two more sons, Eretan and Kyrian. Yeah. It and would be a hard C, right? Yeah, Kyrian. Kyrian. Yeah. And, and it- they were born in the years 3339 and 3379, respectively. Respectively. And in the early days of uh,
1: of Gondor, Isildur went to a place called the Hill of Eric, and uh, that's at the entrance to the Blackroot Vale in the White Mountains. Mm-hmm. And there he placed what is called the Stone of Eric. And this is some shit that I didn't know, because I knew the Stone of Eric from The Lord of the Rings,
0: but I didn't right. know this. Right. But like the origins, yeah. Yeah. So the Stone of Eric is actually a great. It's a great black sphere. It's a big stone that Isildur had brought from Numenor. And uh, where he placed this stone is where Isildur met with the king of the men of Dunharo, who swore an allegiance to Isildur upon that very stone. Yeah. I did not know they brought that from Numenor. I didn't either. That's probably why... Because they talk about in the book how eerie it is, about how smooth... Yeah, it doesn't belong there. Yeah. It doesn't belong there. And mm-hmm. uh, the locals, I think they said they don't know quite where it came from because it's so out of place. Yeah. But uh, it is officially said that it's brought from Numenor. I think that's probably somewhere really in the cool. history.
1: That makes me believe that their ships were
0: huge. Right. If if they brought, carry this big ass stone. If they brought that fucker across the ocean. How did they get it up into the mountains? Did they fucking roll it around? I don't like, know, dude. <laughs> the sheer
1: tenacity of the Numenorians is Yeah,
0: I guess they're Numenorians. I don't know. I'm not going to put it past them. So, not too long later, we're talking the year 3429. This is when Sauron launches war against the, Numenere- the Numenorean kingdoms, hoping to destroy them before their power is fully established in Middle-earth. And this all began with a surprise attack on Minas Ithil, and the siege
1: of that city lasted for one whole year.
0: Yeah, at this point, like we've said previously, everyone thought Sauron was sunken with Numenor, like he was gone. Right, yeah, now, whoops. Yeah, so now there's, the, here he is, and he's attacking your city, and he sieges for a year, and eventually the city does fall.
1: Yeah, and Isildur and his family just barely escape. Luckily, yeah. And they flee down the Anduin, and they sail northwest around the coast of Middle-earth to Arnor to seek a counsel from Melindil. They go to Daddy's house.
0: Yeah, basically. like, what are we going to do? Run, run to dad's house yeah
1: but meanwhile fucking
0: g Anaria. Anarion
1: anarian down south holding down the fort he holds us gilliath against uh the enemy for quite a while yeah like a fucking badass
0: and then anarian actually is the one that asks to have kyrian i think that's one of his sealed horse kids right yes yep yes kyrian eldest. yeah yeah yes he kyrian head over to minas Amnor and keeps watch there just in case sauron tries to push even further west
1: yeah cuz he's like yeah I'm standing with this city no matter what. So right. if this goes wrong, let's post somebody up in the tower of the sun too.
0: Yeah, so anarian fucking he had this down apparently. He was just he was just ready. He fucking defended us and he has someone, you know, holding down Minas Anor and apparently they just did a really damn good job. Yeah, they they held the line. They held the line. Right, cuz in the following year, anarian actually would go ahead and recapture Minas Ithil in the year 3430. And in that same
1: year of 3430, in response to Sauron's sudden resurgence, High King Elendil and the Dunedain, they form an alliance with High King Gilgalad of the Noldor.
0: Yeah, and those High Kings, as we know, extend their alliance to King Durin Fourth and King Orpher from the Greenwood Elves, Greenwood the Great, and King Amdir from Lothlorien. And together, all these kings, they raise a host in a balls-out attempt to vanquish Sauron once and for all, the last alliance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And note,
1: this is also when Isildur's pregnant wife, Sharon, was sent to Rivendell for safety, <laughs> and she gives birth to Isild to Isildur's youngest son, Valandil. That's Sharon. <laughs> God, damn what it. a character,
0: Sharon! Man, she she knows what's up. Yeah, yeah. After this uh,
1: whole story would be fucked if not for Sharon. Right.
0: Yeah. So Sharon was uh, technically pregnant at the time of the siege of uh, Minas Ithil. So when they fled there and went up north to. Salt with Daddy. She was pregnant from yeah, that.
1: Like, yeah. Imagine fleeing. Yeah, from your your burning city, pregnant as fuck.
0: Yeah, and so then after they got up there and decided, yeah, we're gonna do this last alliance thing. They're like, hey, you should probably go hang out in Rivendell, where it's safe for a while. Yeah,
1: chill in Rivendell for a while,
0: and uh, that's where she has. Is youngest son there in Rivendell? Valandil. Valandil. In Valandil is a very important character because Valandil is basically the last of the line of the kings, is he not? In the end, because Valandil is the one who eventually goes down to Aragorn, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Valandil is Aragorn's ancestor. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
0: yep. Important. All right. So the Last Alliance. We've been covering the Last Alliance quite a bit recently on the podcast. We realized. Oh yeah, I'm totally not sick of it at all. <laughs> It just so happens that a lot of the uh, uh, episode subjects recently have, have caused us to kind of, like, yeah. re-glance over at The Last Alliance, because yeah. The Last Alliance included a lot of people and places. So. Yeah,
1: and we did that, like, super definitive episode on it already, but we still have to talk about it every time.
0: It's all right, yeah. If you want to learn everything about The Last Alliance, go ahead and check out that Last Alliance episode. But otherwise, we're going to try to uh, just kind of fly through The La- Last Alliance quickly. As according to Isildur. Yeah, as it pertains much. to door. Yeah. Here we go. So, because Elendil and Gilgalad had taken the initiative, they had the luxury of time on their side to prepare for the battle. So both kings began by spending two years gathering their own forces. Around this time is when
1: Eäldor tried to recruit the middlemen of Dunharrow in the White Mountains, mm-hmm. and they yeah, they refused.
0: Yeah, that's when this happens. Then Asildor said to their king, "Thou shalt be the last king." And if the West prove mightier than thy black master, this curse I lay upon thee and thy folk, to rest never until your oath is fulfilled. For this war will last through years uncounted, and you shall be summoned once again ere the end. And they fled before the wrath of Isildur, and did not dare to go forth to war on Sauron's part. And they hid themselves in the secret places in the mountains, and had no dealings with other men, but slowly dwindled in the barren hills. And the terror of the sleepless dead lies about the hill of Eric and all places where that people lingered.
1: Ooh, spooky!
0: Yeah, I love that. Just uh, learning directly where they where the dead men came from.
1: Yeah, dude. I he's just like if we if we if we come back from if we conquer. Yeah, just y'all know, are Fucked. Yeah. Just
0: know if we could, if the West is stronger and we come back here. Mm mm mm. You guys mm-mm. are fucked. Well, unfortunately, Osildor was never able to make it back himself. But we'll we'll get we'll get to why. Fun fact, though, between uh, this point now, when the oath is uh, when the curse is uttered, and when the oath is ultimately fulfilled in the third age, <laughs> the difference is somewhere around three hundred and thirty years between now and then. No, it's three thousand. Or I'm sorry, three thousand and thirty years.
1: Yeah, three thousand and thirty, my friend. Yeah, that's a long fucking time for a, a man. Yeah, the spirit of men to linger, especially for men. Yeah, yeah,
0: like elves. You know, They're used to that shit. You know, I was there thousands of years ago. I was
1: there, kind of.
0: Yeah, but for men, men, well, the men, longest men live is only, what, like 500 years yeah, for the longest the, man or something? The longest, that's even yeah. for the Dunedine. So, yeah, yeah, being stuck on Earth for over 3,000 years, I must have imagined that's shitty. Pretty shitty for men, yeah
1: you just get to be these ghostly figures that everyone's afraid of. You got no friends.
0: Yeah, I, I understand why those ghosts were probably terrifying. They're probably real yeah. pissed off about...
1: Probably <laughs> just lonely as hell, man. Yeah. Somebody should go visit them. Oh. Brought them a card or something. Aw. Maybe played them an old folk song on an old out-of-tune guitar. <laughs> what? <laughs> what if that's how Aragorn had to fu- had to get them to fulfill their oath? I now have to sing a folksy song on an out-of-tune guitar.
0: The only way he was able to recruit them yeah. is with the power of song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so in the year 3431, the forces of Elendil and Gil-galad meet at the Tower of Aman sul and march to Rivendell. This does include Isildur. He was there with them.
1: Yes, yes. And in Rivendell, the Alliance is joined by the forces of Lord Elrond. And the Alliance spent a further three years in Rivendell, and what are they doing? They're forging weapons and armor, they're training, they're strategizing, and
0: they're making plans remotely with Anirion down in Osgiliath via the Polantiri. Yeah, but they futuristic shit. And this this is when Rivendell becomes known as the Great Forge. Yeah, yeah. Three years later in 3434, the last Alliance leaves Rivendell and travels eastward across the Misty Mountains into the Vale of Anduin. And in that Vale of Anduin, the Last Alliance is joined by the Sylvan forces of Amdir, burr, 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 of Lothlorien, and Orifer of the Greenwood.
1: Bew, 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 bew.
0: After the regrouping, the Alliance begins heading south along the east bank of Anduin, and they rendezvous with the forces of Durin IV of Khazad-dûm and Anarion of Gondor. Fully stacked! Fully stacked!
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And during that same year, 3434, the Alliance, they travel south down the Anduin, passing through the newly scorched Brown Lands. We talked about that in previous episodes.
0: Mm-hmm. And they meet Sauron's forces at the Battle of Dagorlad. And the Battle of Dagorlad becomes one of the most decisive battles in this War of the Last Alliance, because both teams in this battle are totally stacked. Yeah, yeah. There's even dwarves on both sides. Yeah, dude. We've Our dwarves a, are
1: better than your dwarves.
0: We've got a quick excerpt about this here.
1: They came at last upon the host of Sauron on Dagorlad, the battle plain, which lies before the gate of the Black Land. All living things were divided in that day, and some of every kind, even of beasts and birds, were found in either host, save the elves only. They alone were undivided and followed Gilgalad.
0: Well, that's a little. I'm looking at that now, that excerpt. I'm realizing it's slightly inaccurate, because well, all the elves did fight on one side, the side of Gilgalad, we know the Sylvan Elves didn't want to
1: follow. They didn't really yeah, follow under the, the commander. Although I suppose
0: shit. they did eventually after half of them died. Yeah, after but, they almost So I guess died, they yeah. did, but there was a little division there. Anyway.
1: Well, no, they didn't even. They they followed uh, Thranduil, remember? That's right.
0: Well, that's because Thranduil was like, yeah, we're going to stick we're with gonna the team We're going to stick with
1: time. the team this time, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, off topic. So the uh, Battle of Dagolad, it rages for months and there were heavy losses but eventually as we know the Alli- the alliance gains the upper hand and they breach the gla- the Glack Blades the Ooh. Black Gates
1: Black Glades
0: <laughs> the yes yes
1: and after breaching the Black Gates the alliance successfully drove Sauron's forces back to
0: Sauron's fortress of Barad-dûr Barad-dûr and uh, the remaining forces of the Alliance camp on the plains of Gorgoroth, a pretty shitty place to camp out. And yeah. they, they launch the Siege of Beradur.
1: Yeah, yeah. The Siege of Beradur started in 3434. It's a big year.
0: Yeah, yeah, and continued for the next seven fucking years. Right. Yeah, this is Sauron's stronghold. You're not getting in easy. And
1: in the seventh year of the siege, Sauron breaks the the lines, and the uh, on the slopes of Mount Doom, Sauron fought Gilgalad and High King of Lendil in single combat.
0: Yeah, and as we know, this is really the scene where Isildur comes into play again. This is where Isildur's character. This is, is his important. moment. Yeah. So, as we know, in this fight between Gilgalad, Elendil, and Sauron, as we know, Sauron is much more powerful than either of them. Right. Uh, nearby is Seildor. Elrond and Círdan are are help- watching, watching helplessly as as they see this horrible shit unfold. Gilgalad yeah. is killed right away when Sauron just fucking grabs his face and scorches his face off.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> In the ensuing fight
1: between Elendil and Sauron, um, Narsil breaks when uh, Elendil falls and is killed.
0: Yeah, everything has led up to this point right here. Like, these are all the high leaders Sauron, High King Elendil, and High King Gilgalad. Gilgalad's dead. Yeah, dude. Elendil falls and is dead, and his sword is broken. And it seems like everything's fucked. Like, all this shit that we've been doing for years and years now has all been for naught
1: but Sauron had also been mortally wounded and while he was down isildur comes picks up the broken hilt shard of narsil and with a vicious thrust <laughs> cuts the ring from Sauron's hand cuts off one finger well, I was gonna, yeah
0: one finger one finger taking the ring isn't it is it the ring finger i think it's or the, or the ring finger or is it the finger? index finger yeah.
1: I think it's the ring finger. I don't know in what mind, in what world people wear rings like that on their index finger. It looks cooler for the the movie. I'm pretty
0: sure in the movie he he wore it on his right index finger. Yeah, yeah. Assuming Sauron's right-handed.
1: Which makes even even less sense that they'd have to cut off all the fingers. Right. Come on, guys. So, single finger.
0: But that was it. Boom. You know? Ring has been separated from his body. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, Shazam. (laughs) That's magically they find ultimately all they needed to do
1: that's what they had to do so that was the key and
0: by removing the one ring from sauron's body it basically destroyed his physical form because he had put so much of his power into the ring when they get separated he basically is his physical form is destroyed and his armies completely scatter in disarray
1: yeah they're like uh we're out of here they,
0: they thought that was it once fucking again yeah they thought they yeah. This is what? Going to be, after this, he comes back for like a third time? Like, Sauron is the one yeah. guy who constantly gets defeated and like comes back. Yeah. That's why I think that necromancy stuff is so important. Yeah. With his character. Anyway, we've talked about that before. Yes, we have. Um, but yeah. no one knew at the time, anyway. No one knew at the time. Yeah, no one knew at the time that Sauron's, you know, spirit is still lingering after yeah. that.
1: And at that time is when Isildur took the One Ring. Mm-hmm. Il, uh, Elrond and Círdan actually counseled uh, Isildur to destroy the ring in the Crack of Doom where it was made.
0: But as we know, Isildur decides not to destroy it, and he claims it for himself, but not just like a selfish, I want this, he he takes it as a compensation for his losses.
1: Yeah, I don't think this is a selfish a move as they make it seem in the film.
0: Yeah, the film I think definitely misrepresents Isildur's character in this moment because they use this as a very defining moment for like uh, they try to show it as Isildur's weakness.
1: In the weakness of men in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: But I really don't Know that that's necessarily in the books. What this point was supposed to, what this is supposed to point out, because at yeah. this point they're they don't understand quite what this means. Right. How important the ring is to be destroyed. He's just like, there's this cool ring. I've lost my entire fucking family in this war. Yeah. I'm gonna take one thing as like prize yeah, away like, from this. They say it's where Yeah.
1: It's yeah. That's yeah. weregild Yeah. It's like uh, my my father and brother were precious to me, so I'm gonna take the. Mm-hmm. What was so precious to you, you fucker?
0: And we've got a, a excerpt about this moment here. Alas," said Elrond. "Isildur took it as should not have been. It should have been cast then into Orodruin's fire nigh at hand where it was made. But few marked what Isildur did. He alone stood by his father in that last mortal contest. And by Gilgalad, only Cirdan stood and I. But Isildur would not listen to our counsel. This I will have as wergild for my father and brother," he said, and therefore, whether we would or no, he took it to treasure it. One of the dope excerpts from the Council of Elrond.
1: Yeah, one of the many fun conversations there. I
0: love the Council of Elrond so much. So good. Yeah, like we mentioned uh, just a second ago. Yeah, no one at that time—Elendil, no, I'm sorry—Elrond, uh, Kirtan, Isildur. No one fully understood the repercussions of not destroying, of that action. Right? Yeah. This is uh, Elrond speaking, you know, during the Council of Elrond, like
1: yeah, w- and years, I, years, years later, years later yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. So, in, so now Red he understands. Like, yeah. <laughs> But, like, I, th- I would argue that, like, if they did, there would have been no question. Like, I don't think... S-
0: right, if Isildur knew... If Isildur knew, Isildur knew I fought, don't f- I mean, they fought that whole fucking war to yeah, get rid I of would Sauron. He,
1: yeah, why would he keep around the last bit of his soul? Like, wh- why if would he, he do that? If he knew
0: that that was basically, like, a crux, keeping Sauron yeah, dude, like, <laughs> yeah. I think he, he totally would have been like, oh, yeah, fuck this. Yeah, dude. Sauron's
1: my mortal enemy, why would I, yeah, why would I do that? Like, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think they really fucked Isildur in the movie.
0: So as we know previously, the end of the Last Alliance brings around the end of the Second Age. So let's get into uh, what Isildur has going on in the Third Age.
1: Yeah, so after the defeat of Sauron in Second Age 3441, the final year of that age, a number of notable things happen. First of all, like we said, that marks the end of the Second Age and the beginning of the Third Age. And the High Kingship of the
0: Dúnedain is passed down to Isildur. Yeah, uh, the title of High King of Naldor, of the Naldor is also ended. And Gondor becomes a very powerful kingdom, and Mordor is deserted for centuries, and the land is actually so filled with corruption and dread and just the memory of Sauron that no one could bear to ever live there or spend time there, so it basically stayed empty. And after
1: the war, Isildur returned to Minas Tirith and assumed the Elendilmir, proclaiming his kinship in Arnor and the sovereign lordship over the Dunedain in both the north and the south.
0: Yeah, and the Elendilmir is something that we haven't talked too much about before. Yeah, we talked
1: about it a little bit in the Elendil episode. But that oh, was yeah, really, really the first time we've uh, we've mentioned it.
0: So the Elendilmir is a jewel. It is a uh, two-star-shaped white gems set in a Mithril fillet. It dates back to the early centuries of Númenor and belonged to
1: Silmarion, the daughter of King of uh, Tar Lendil. Yeah, we talked about that in the Lords of a bit in the, yeah, that was one yeah. of the heirlooms. Yeah.
0: yeah, toward the beginning of the episode. Yeah, this is one of those heirlooms that was passed down to the Lords of Induniae since, you know, uh, Silmarion was not allowed yeah. to be a queen because they were it. like, no, fuck women. Yeah. So yeah, that came about, that uh, the fact that they uh, ended up with the mirror that effectively was because of... The lords of Endunia being created. Yeah. Yeah, so the elendelmir it was associated with the line of Elendil forever after that. And uh, High King Elendil would wear it on his brow in place of a crown, as does his son Isildor after him. It was their sign of uh, basically High Kingship in Middle-earth. Yeah. Isildur remained for a year in the South,
1: in the South Kingdom. Yeah,
0: after the war and everything is done. And
1: he planted the seedling of the white tree in Minas Anor in memory of his brother Anarion. Hmm.
0: Yeah, so Isildur also just kind of takes the time to help put the realm in order and destruct his nephew, Meneldil, in basically governance of the land because now Meneldil is going to take over Gondor. Mm -hmm. And with Meneldil and a company of trusted friends, Isildur wrote about the boundaries of Gondor, and in Anorian he creates the tomb and memorial of Elendil, on the hill of Islanare, is that how you would pronounce Air. it? yeah. That's, that's
1: how we said it in the last episode, so let's continue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, this hill was uh, later, uh, after this point, called Aman Arwar, Aman Anwar.
1: Which is the Hill of Awe, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, he also uh, recorded a great many things in the Great Library and uh, of everything that pretty much happened uh, since they got from Numenor, right?
0: Yeah, he made a specific scroll basically just documenting everything that's happened. I think more or less since the end of The Last Alliance. Right, right. Yeah, okay. yeah. So this scroll that he creates is extremely important, especially to like our uh, Third Age stuff. Right,
1: right. They mention this um, in the Council of Elrond, how important yeah, it is. Lord yeah, Lord of the Rings, yeah.
0: So it includes the only known description of the One Ring. And it accounts for what happened to the One Ring after Sauron is defeated. Because not many people even knew that Isildur had taken the ring. Like we heard in that passage earlier from Elrond, there weren't anyone there to take note that he did it other than Círdan and Elrond. And Elrond, yeah. And that's that's when they were like, you should destroy it. And he was like, nah, but...
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, the scroll seems to have uh, either been a secret or just completely forgotten about. And as a result, important information on the One Ring is lost somewhere in the massive records of Minas Tirith.
0: Yeah, one of the reasons why it was so hard to fucking track the One Ring down when the, when Gandalf was looking for it, remember, mm-hmm. is because they didn't even know what it looked like. Yeah, like this is that all that information is in this scroll. Like,
1: yeah, I think we joked in an earlier episode that they used that scroll to prop up a table in the corner. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> <That's laughs> just like
0: that one that they needed to level out the table.
1: Yeah, we got any sugar packets for this table?
0: No, there's a shitty scroll that door left. <laughs> yeah, it's probably <laughs> not important. It's probably not important. Yeah, the only people to ever find and read that scroll that we know of are Gandalf and presumably Saruman as well, because Saruman did a lot of research into the same stuff. Oh, yeah. When he was looking for the ring.
1: And on September 5th, 3rd Age 2, three years after the war, uh, Isildur set out from Gondor to Rivendell with a group of soldiers and three of his four sons, the fourth being still in Rivendell.
0: Yeah, Isildur was actually riding to Rivendell. To reunite with his wife, Sharon, and his youngest son, Valandiel. He hasn't seen them since, what, they were in Rivendell doing the Great Forge thing. So it's yeah, been... a long time. At least eight or nine years, maybe a decade. Yeah, or, a decade probably. Yeah. Um, so he's been pretty anxious. Isildur was pretty anxious to get to Rivendell. So he takes the shortest route that he knows, making the way north through the Vale of Anduin, and then going to try to take the high pass over the mountains, which basically brings you out right by Rivendell. Why didn't they just sail around the coast? Like, that, I think it was shorter to just ride there. Well, we'll see. I mean, you can't really sail to Rivendell; it's kind of landlocked. But
1: oh, but I mean, you could sail to the North Kingdom, and then take it's pretty far east inland, road. Though. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever.
0: So 30 days later, on October 4th, while passing through the Gladden Fields, Isildur's company is ambushed by hundreds of orcs from the Misty Mountains, and this becomes known as the Disaster of Gladden Fields.
1: Yeah, before the battle had begun, Isildur sent away his esquire, Otar, with the shards of Narcel and uh, probably the Ring of Bear here as well.
0: Yeah, we assume probably the Ring of he, Yeah, I'm sure he saw shit was about to go down. I was yeah. like, quick, take this.
1: Isidler kept the One Ring, but it was uh, useless in defending uh, his men against the orcs. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the orcs did not know necessarily that Isildur had the One Ring, but they were unwittingly drawn to its power.
1: Yeah, that happens kind of throughout the Lord of the Rings. Like Fro- mm.
0: Frodo's always the
1: one being attacked by things and stuff like right, that. Right. It just yeah. yeah,
0: whoever's got the ring is generally the one who's going to have shit happen. Shit is just attracted to it. They're gonna catch it hot. And it said Isildur's men were outnumbered ten to one, and though they initially managed to repel the attack, the, or- the orcs uh, renewed their assault after nightfall, and the men were completely overwhelmed.
1: Yeah, and Isildur's son, Araton, was mortally wounded, and his son, Kyrian, was killed
0: outright. His eldest son, Elendur, begged Isildur to flee in order to prevent the orcs from capturing the One Ring. And, you know, Isildur kind of reluctantly agreed, Mm -hmm. and they say he parted with great sorrow from his son Elendur, who was slain shortly thereafter, (laughs) leading the remaining Dunedain.
1: And Isildur, uh, he headed for the river, the Anduin. Uh, He removed his armor and he put on the one ring to escape across the river.
0: Yeah, but unfortunately, the current was strong. And despite his great strength being, you know, Dunedain, it pulled him toward the marshes of the Gladden Fields. And that's when the ring uh, left Isildur's
1: finger and was lost in the waters.
0: Yeah, they say it chose to to leave him at that point, right?
1: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is another thing we talked about right here, Joel, Mm -hmm. um, with Isildur. Like, I, I would argue that Isildur was never fully corrupted by the
0: ring. Which is why you think it chose to leave at this Which point? Which
1: I think it chose to leave because it knew that it was going to have an easier time at the bottom of the fucking river <laughs> than it was trying to corrupt the Dunedain through a seal door.
0: Right. Once again, yeah, because the movies try to make it out that a sealed door like is weak, was and weak shit. to the yeah. ring, and ultimately we don't know that it had any effect on him at all. Like he didn't yeah. even have it for that long. He
1: didn't have it for that long, and it chose to leave him. Right. Like it chose to leave him.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, sealed door doesn't get enough credit. No, he doesn't. But uh, it was said when the ring left him, when he was in the water there, uh, initially Isildur felt an overwhelming sense of loss, as many do when they initially lose the ring. But then right after that was just this cooling sense of great relief, like a huge burden had been lifted from him.
1: Yeah, but as he rose out of the water, he was quickly spotted by orcs who shot him with a bunch of arrows.
0: And we've got a excerpt about this terrible
1: scene here. There well nigh all his people were slain, and among them were his three elder sons, Elendur, Aratan, and Kirion. Isildur himself escaped by means of the ring, for when he wore it he was invisible to all eyes, but the orcs hunted him by scent and slot, until he came to the river and he plunged in. There the ring betrayed him and avenged its maker, for it slipped from his finger as he swam, and it was lost in the water." Then the orcs saw him as he labored in the stream, and they shot him with many arrows, and that was his
0: end. From the ruin of Gladden Fields, three men only came ever back over the mountain after long wandering. One of these was Otar, the esquire of Isildur, who bore the shards of the sword of Elendil, and he brought them to Valandil, the heir of Isildur, who being but a child had remained here in Rivendell. But Narsil was broken, and its light extinguished. And it has not yet been forged again. So that brings the uh, brings an end, a very sad end to the life of Isildur Isildur. of Ilindil. He was he was a really great man, I think.
1: Yeah, who was dealt a shitty hand by the movies.
0: He is a very key figure in the Third Age. Just mm-hmm. because, you know, they always say the heir of Isildur, you know, that's an important character. That's Aragorn. Yeah, yeah. It's an important line. And then he also connects a lot of that Third Age stuff with Second Age stuff going backwards. Yeah, I dude, just, I, 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 I like Isildur. I actually ended up really liking doing this episode.
1: Yeah, no, Isildur is a cool character. I was jealous that you got to do this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, fun fact, ultimately, with the ring. So, the one ring was lost in the River Anduin now. And it ultimately stayed there for two and a half millennia before it was found by Deagle. Yeah. So, so just it, kind of speaking to your point earlier. Yeah,
1: it knew the easier route was to lay there for two and a half thousand years <laughs> rather than try to corrupt the Dunedine through Isildur.
0: Yeah, Deagle didn't pick it, up and pick it up until the year 2463 of the Third Age. It's pretty far down the line.
1: Yeah. And Isildur's body was taken by the Anduin and was never found.
0: Yeah, there was uh, no tomb. For Isildur, son of Valandil. No. Um, Isildur's youngest son, Valandil, as we know, becomes king of Arnor when he comes of age in the year TA-10, but he did not claim kingship of Gondor.
1: No, yeah, so this is the point when the two kingdoms become separated, and uh, Gondor continued to be ruled by the heirs of Anarion, while Arnor was ruled by the heirs of Isildur.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was not until the end of the Third Age that the kingdoms would ultimately be reunited again by Aragorn. The heir of Isildur.
1: And technically Anarian, remember? And
0: technically Yeah, that's why he was so important, because of this Anerian-Isildur line yeah. stuff.
1: Nobody ever talks about how he was a descendant of Anarian as well, through mm-hmm. his mother.
0: Through his mother. So uh, after this point, Valandil and all of Valandil's descendants stay in Rivendell. And we have an excerpt about this. In that house were harbored the heirs of Isildur, in childhood and
1: in old age because the kinship of their blood with elrond himself and because he knew in his wisdom that one should come of their line to whom a great part was appointed in the last deeds of that age and until that time came the shards of elendil's sword were given into the keeping of elrond when the days of the Dunedain darkened and they became a wandering people
0: i liked that i i thought it was cool that at least uh um, Elrond is, you know, still looking out for the remnants for the Dunadyne, of the Dúnedain. Yeah. They're the his ones. family,
1: which is weird to think mm-hmm. about. Yeah, 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 they are his family. They are his family. Yeah,
0: yeah, they're, they're just
1: like great, like super descended from his brother, which is weird to think about.
0: Yeah, that is a really crazy thing to think about. Yeah, you know, because it's like elves and men. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, one last, final, little fun fact before the end of the our uh, Isildur episode. So thousands of years later, after door had died, after the War of the Ring, the Tower of Orthanc was reopened because King Elessar, you know, King Aragorn, had desired its restoration. Yeah, and behind a hidden door in a steel closet, they found what else but the fucking Elendilmere,
1: the Star of Elendil. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they found the Elendomere, that that gem that we were talking about earlier. The one that was used kind of like as a replacement crown. Yeah. Fun fact, actually, about that... Um, they So they wore it on their heads, right? So, fun fact that I came across when I was doing this episode. It was said that when Isildur put on the One Ring during the disaster of Gladden Fields, that he himself became invisible, but the Elendilmir did not. And it actually said that it, it blazed instead with a red and wrathful kind of light. Yeah. Like yeah. a wrathful star.
1: Some kind of evil light, maybe? Yeah,
0: I imagine. Because, I mean, the mirror. Lendl- <sighs> Lendl- I imagine, is something that is pretty much genuinely good. And yeah. then the ring is powerfully evil. Powerfully so I evil. think when they kind of like...
1: It created some kind of weird reaction. Yeah. Some
0: weird reaction between the two. I just thought that was really cool that it reacted to the ring that way. Yeah.
1: It was actually surmised uh, that Sauron's trackers had found it while they were looking for the one ring in the Gladden Fields.
0: And he had taken it for his own. Yeah, because remember, Sauron was uh, searching around for the ring for a long time. It is said that Sauron and his trackers may have found the bones even of the long lost king of uh possibly destroying those remnants after finding them. Yeah. But that's not an official. It's not officially said either way. I think that's something that's alluded to in the history. Yeah. In the histories or the appendices somewhere.
1: They probably grinded the bones to make their maggoty bread. <laughs> maggoty bread would freeze stinking days.
0: But uh, ultimately, that is everything we've got for you guys today on Isildur. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because this and this brings us to the end of uh, our our little series. Hey, hey, Joel. What what do uh, you and me and these kings have in common?
0: We're all men. We're all
1: high kings. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't uh, sure where you're going. With that I've been present. waiting to do that joke the whole episode. <laughs> yeah. Thank good, you. To, good to save it for the, yeah. the last, of our, for the last bit. of our High Kings trilogy. Oh, hi. Get it? <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening to KOT Podcast. Yeah, guys. We hope yeah.
0: you enjoyed the uh, High Kings trilogy. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing it. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, be sure to go ahead and follow us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at KOT Podcast.
1: Yeah, and if you want to follow me, I have my personal Twitter at Danny J. That's J-A-Y, K-O-T.
0: And uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook. That's uh, facebook.com forward slash official. Keep on Tolkien.
1: Yeah, and also join that uh, KOT talk group that we have set up there to ask uh, questions and discuss with other listeners,
0: and you know, post fun memes and jokes. And yeah, sometimes we have book club going on. Oh
1: there. yeah, we got the book club going mm-hmm. on too. Yeah, so check that out.
0: And uh, go ahead if uh, pictures are your thing, go ahead and follow us on Instagram. That's at Keep on Tolkien Podcast, and be sure to subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, that'll be at thatwebsite.com forward slash keep on Tolkien. Yeah, and make sure to stay up to date with our new episodes.
1: Yeah, and please rate us or give us a nice review if you like us. And if you don't, just, you know, move along, mind your business. Move along. Uh, no. Uh, also, thank you for giving to the Patreon. Yeah,
0: a big shout out to all of our patrons. We really appreciate all the help you give us.
1: So yeah, subscribe to us on Patreon to help uh, support us. Uh, KOT is still a, uh, it's a 100% DIY podcast and it's still coming out of our pockets.
0: And uh, these donations help so, 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 so much. Yeah, it really just helps us bring a more consistent quality that you guys come to expect of us. Yeah. Helps us pay our bills.
1: And uh, subscribing can also unlock some super cool exclusive content.
0: it's almost always,
1: not safe for work and is almost uh, always, we're fucked up. <laughs> so we,
0: yeah, we like to have a lot of fun with Patreon. So
1: and also a uh, cool thing about Patreon, guys, is you can uh, cancel at any time. So mm-hmm. like if you can't afford to do it all year and you just want to do it for a little bit, get all that extra content, you can do that. Yeah, choose your amount, choose your, your amount. Whenever. cancel whenever.
0: But uh, ultimately, thanks again for listening, guys. Yes, yes. I am Danny J and I am Joel N. As always,
1: keep, keep on talking. Aore. Andrew Loba.